Dad, thank you for this family day where we can be in your house. Really, Lord, in your throne room, your living room, sitting as children, all of us, needing for you, our Father, to speak. Thank you, Lord, that we had an opportunity to speak to you through prayer and to honor you through worship. And as you've called us, Jesus, to be worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, now it's time for truth. Dad, would you speak to us? Lord, would you speak through me? It amazes me that you would use um, broken vessels to communicate your holy word. But I thank you for your Holy Spirit who definitely makes up the difference in the shortcomings of men and women who have the responsibility of feeding your people. So help me today, Lord, to feed your people well. Guard me from anything that would say, look at me. May I not ever try to think it's about me, but may I be reminded, Lord, that it's always about you. We need you. We need a word from you. So, Lord, take this word, this living word, this word that will not return void, and give each person what they need because you're God like that. And when it's said and done, Lord, we just don't want to hear this word. Give us the desire and through the spirit, the ability to do what we have heard. May the enemy not steal the seed this morning. Lord, may it be planted on good soil so that fruit may be produced. Oh, God, we praise you in advance and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. When our worship leader got up this morning, she said that she had had a difficult week. And as we began to sing the songs about God breaking chains and even taking pain, it is good to know that we can come into his presence and into his house even if we have to limp to get there. And truthfully, we all have some kind of limp. We're all dealing with some kind of burden that we give it to the Lord and then we take it right back. We give him the anxiety and then the spirit of fear attacks us and anxiety comes right back. As a matter of fact, uh, for me, my life has been moving rather quickly because after the homegoing celebration of our dear sister, Kawanda, I jumped on an airplane and flew over four hours to go to Seattle to preach four times for a friend of mine there and then jump on the plane and come back to be here in time for our roller skating party that we had at Brentwood Skate. And when the plane touched down in Nashville and I turned my phone on, my phone was immediately bombarded with messages and text messages and emails informing me of the pain that is occurring in many of the people in this house's life. And so there's a season right now, it just appears, as we're still mourning. We're still mourning. And then life doesn't stop for us. And we have to keep on going on anyhow, as the song was singing, playing over the announcements from John P. Key. I think I'll make it anyhow. I'm going to go on anyhow because to live is Christ. And 
I just came by to tell you today in this sermon that no matter what life may bring you, you've got to keep your hands up. Oh, if you just hang with me today, um, no matter what life may bring you, no matter what you're going through, if you can learn the discipline of keeping your hands up, things are going to be just fine. Keep your hands lifted, of course, in praise and worship. But let's go a little bit deeper. Today we're going to see the importance of keeping our hands lifted in prayer. Keeping our hands lifted in intercession for other people that we know are going through. But also to keep our hands lifted as a sign that we are dependent upon the Lord. Is anybody dependent upon the Lord today? Well, sometimes that dependence must be demonstrative. And we must literally, not figuratively, but literally, lift our hands to God and say, God, here I am. I need some help. So today, I, I know Tupac told you to keep your head up. But I want to encourage you to keep your hands up. Okay? Keep your hands up. Exodus chapter 17 is going to tell us a story. It's going to tell us a story about a battle that Israel encountered. And there are three specific vantage points that we find in Exodus 17 in the passage we'll look at today. Um, one of those vantage points involves fighting. Fighting. Because we're all in a fight and we've been called to fight the good fight of faith. So we're going to talk about the vantage point of fighting today, which is Joshua's vantage point. Joshua was not only fighting Strong Tower, but he was fighting in the valley. But we're also going to look at the vantage point of Moses, who was up on the hill. Moses was on the hill with his hands lifted. And so as we look at his vantage point, we're going to encourage ourselves to keep our hands lifted. So in the valley, we're going to keep fighting. On the hill, we're going to keep our hands lifted. But also on the hill, Moses had some help. Aaron and her, as we'll read, helped him by holding his arms up because even the great man of God, Moses' arms got weary. So he needed Aaron and her to support him as he was interceding for Joshua and the nation. So from that vantage point, from Aaron and her's perspective, we just want to keep supporting. We want to keep supporting those who are standing in the gap. We want to keep supporting our leaders. So we want to keep fighting. We want to keep lifting. And we want to keep supporting. Are you ready to get into this word? Well, let's begin. Let's begin at verse 8 of Exodus chapter 17. I gave you enough time to find it. You should have it. Don't be in the New Testament. Mm -mm, back it up. Throw it in reverse. Verse 8. It says, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Amalek. Amalek or the Amalekites. Who are these people and why are they picking on God's people? Well, according to the book of Genesis chapter 36, verse 12, the Amalekites descended from Esau. Who is Esau? Esau is Jacob's older twin brother. And the Bible calls Esau a profane man. He was an idolater. He was uh, a man with many wives. He was a, a polygamous. He was an earthy or fleshly man who at one time wanted to kill his brother. 
because he felt that his brother had tricked him out of his birthright and out of his blessing. But the truth be told, God said that the older son will serve the younger son, that the blessing of Abraham would pass not to Esau, but to Jacob. And because of that, Esau had great animosity towards his brother. And when he departed from his brother and he lived in an area called Edom or Seir, Mount Seir, there would be constant friction between the Jews and the Edomites. And one of his descendants was Amalek or the Amalekites. So that's where these folks come from. They know the history of Israel and they start a fight with the Jews. Well, as we understand the context, Israel has been in slavery for 400 years to the Egyptians. God decides that it's time for their slavery to end. He had prophesied to Abraham that his descendants would be enslaved in the land for 400 years. And then when it happened in time and space, the people groaned. God raised up Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And after a multitude of signs and wonders, things that broke the back of Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt, he finally decided to let the people go. And as they were coming out of Egypt, the Bible says there were over 600,000 men on foot. So it could have been easily a community of one to two million people who were exiting or having an exodus out of the land of slavery, going into the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now the children of Israel are going to take what was promised to them. They're going to inherit what had been given to them through the patriarchs. And as they're coming out, we know about the Red Sea, that Pharaoh um, had changed his mind and his heart was hard once again, and he sent his armies against the Israelites. But we know what God did. He parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could go through on dry land. And then when the Egyptians came into the sea, what did God do? He put the sea back over on them, and he dealt with the enemies of the Jews. And people drowned and died that day. And so Israel, they're on a trek into the land of promise. They have not fought a war before. The battles that they had had up until that point, the Lord fought them without them ever having to raise their hands with a sword or to put a shield on. Yet when they came out of Egypt, the Bible says the armies of the Lord marched out. And they marched out. God called them an army before they ever even had to have a fight. But now it's time to fight in chapter 17. And Amalek came and fought with Israel. Amalek started this fight. Israel was minding their own business. And Amalek, a descendant of Esau, the brother of Jacob, came against the Israelites. And it may be that Amalek started this fight as this million-plus people was marching through the area, because maybe Amalek feared their potential. Maybe Amalek had heard about the power of their God, and Amalek wanted to stop them, and, and, and Amalek chose to bully these people. And, and, and just to go a little bit deeper, I got to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 25, beginning in verse 17. This is Moses telling the story about what happened in Exodus 17. It says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. Moses, what did they do to us? 
The Bible goes on to say how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and wearied, and he did not fear God. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some men. Excuse me, excuse me, I jumped ahead too quick. Go back to Deuteronomy. Go back to Deuteronomy. So the Amalekites, they attacked the Jews. They attacked Israel from behind. They didn't attack them from the front. They attacked them from the rear. So, so, so they're fighting dirty. Not only did they attack them from the rear, but the Bible says that they attacked those who were weak and straggling. Because when they would march out like that, they wouldn't put the weak people in the front. They would put the weak people in the back because there was a common decency, a war code, if you will, that you would not attack from the back, but you would attack from the front, but not the Amalekites. They were dirty people. So they not only attacked from the back and, and they were not prompted by the Jews. They initiated this war. They attacked the weak. And then the Bible says that they did not fear God. So there was no respect for God or God's people. But let's also consider this, too, that when they attacked the Jews from the back and they attacked the weary, they attacked the Jews right after the Jews had just got blessed with a miracle. What was the miracle? Well, in the earlier portions of Exodus 17, the people were thirsty and couldn't get water. So God gave them water out of a rock. That's a miracle. So watch how the enemy works. I'm going to attack you after you get blessed. I'm going to attack you after you experience favor. I'm going to attack you after you experience a miracle. And when I come, I'm coming from behind, and I'm going to attack those who are weak around you. That's just how the devil works, doesn't he? But God is still there, mighty in battle, fighting with us. And you got to watch out for these bullies like Amalek who just want to start a fight because they're jealous of you. Oh, it reminds me of what LeBron James just experienced this past week. Hmm. Man opens a school in his hometown of Akron to help low-income, impoverished children uh, uh, to be able to get a better education, to be able to get people who will help raise them up. And Because he says, I remember the streets from which I came from when I couldn't get to school for over 80 days because his family moved from place to place. And he says, we're going to help the children. We're going to make sure they get to school. We're going to provide them bicycles. We're going to provide support for the parents, whatever they need. So he's trying to provide a holistic approach to public education in his hometown of Akron. But a bully in the White House spoke against him and said that he was ignorant and stupid, as well as Don Lemon, the man who interviewed him on CNN. Ah, oh, boy. Y'all know I could go off and get on that, but I'm, I'm going to try to leave that alone. I'm just trying to let you know that when you're doing something right, don't be surprised when folk come against you and try to tear you down, try to discredit you and talk about you. Mm -hmm. And that's how the enemy works. But we also know that God is working. So we go back to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to pick it up at verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men and go out and fight with Amalek, the ones who came on us at the back and the ones who attacked our weak, the ones who came after us when we got blessed. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. So the first perspective we want to see from 
Joshua is the perspective of being in the valley. And we just want to keep on fighting. Keep on fighting in the valley. What we see here, Strong Tower, is the first mention of Joshua in the Bible. This is the first mention of him. He will be known later as Moses' aide. And when Moses is on the mountain for 40 days getting the word of God, Joshua is there not far behind hiding in the cricks and crevices of the mountain because he wanted to be close to his spiritual leader and authority. He would spend so much time with Moses so that it was a natural handing of the baton when Moses, God had called Moses away, and it was time to hand the leadership over to Joshua because Joshua had been so uh, uh, encouraged and discipled by Moses that it was an easy transition for the people. But this is the first time we see Joshua mentioned, and as I mentioned in my introduction, this is the first physical fight that Israel is going to partake in where they have to lay their hands on the enemy. Every other time, God handled the enemy, whether they were in Egypt or coming out of Egypt. But now this nation must fight for the first time. And when Moses goes up to the hill, he says, I'm going to take the rod of God in my hand. Bible readers, you know that when God called him, he had a rod in his hand in Exodus chapter 3. It was an ordinary rod, but God called him with an extraordinary mission. Go and tell Pharaoh, let the people go. Moses said, who am I that Pharaoh would listen to me? God says, don't worry about who you are. You just be concerned with who I am, and I will speak through your stuttering lips of clay. He says, matter of fact, what is that in your hand? And he said, it's my rod, because a shepherd needs to have a rod, because Moses was tending sheep. You need that to climb mountains. You need that to deal with predators. God says, throw that thing down. He threw it down, and what happened? It became a snake. God told him, pick it up from the tail, which is the worst way to pick up a snake. That's what I hear. I've never done it, but that's what I hear. And so he picked it up. It became a rod again. God says, this will be one of the signs that you will use to affirm to the people that I have been the one who called you to go. And so this rod would become the rod of God. And he would use this rod in order to turn the Nile River into blood. He would use this, Nile, this rod to see various plagues come on Egypt. So the rod began to take on the mystique of being the rod of God. And when they came out of Egypt and they were about to cross the Red Sea, God told him to lift up the rod over the waters. The water parted and they went through. So this rod, which he also struck the rock with in Exodus 17, it was backed by the living God. So Moses says, I'm going up to the hill. I know you're down in the valley. But when I lift this rod up, what I'm saying is the power and the presence of God are with us in this season of battle. So the man of God went to the hill, lifted up the, uh, uh, the rod, lifted up his hand so that when Joshua was down in the valley fighting, he could lift up his eyes unto the hills to be reminded of where his help was coming from. He was fighting in the natural realm, 
but he recognized that this fight was more than a physical fight. It was above all a spiritual fight because Amalek was backed by the devil trying to destroy the covenant people of God. So they not only needed physical force to fight this, they needed spiritual power to have victory. So God says, I'm going to put Moses, your covering, your leader, your pastor on the mountain with the rod of God in his hands. Joshua, you will know that you're backed up by God as you're fighting down in the valley. I just want to let some of y'all know that you're backed up by God when you start fighting on Monday, when you're in that office, when you're in that cubicle, you're dealing with folk. You don't have to wrestle primarily and exclusively against flesh and blood. You've got to see the spiritual realm. Paul said, man, the things we look at, they're just temporary. But the things we can't see, they are eternal. So our focus needs to go beyond what we see, and we need to have eyes of faith to see that God is working for us so that he can work this thing out when I'm struggling in the natural realm with people and battles. God, fight my battles. So today, our worship leader, she tried to get us focused uh, from Colossians chapter 3 to set your affections on things above. Because if we just stay on the earthly realm, we're going to cuss folk out. <laughs> that hit a nerve, didn't it? We, 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 we won't bless them, we'll cuss them. My wife was telling me about a book this morning written by one of her friends that says, I want to punch you in the face, but I'm a Christian. And I said, that book is going to sell a lot of copies. How do you not do that? We realize that there's more to this war than what I see. God, you're backing me up in heavenly places, so I'm going to keep fighting in the valley, and I'm going to fight the right way. But let me say this to some of you, because Dr. Robin Allen said to me she dropped her son off at Lane College, and she said she didn't even cry. I told her the tears are going to come later. I dropped my daughter off at University of Tennessee Chattanooga week after next and I know there's going to be some tears, but we know that this is the next step for her. And I said to her, trying to apply this text, I said, Chasey Wasey, that's what I call it. That's my term of endearment, Chasey Wasey. You're going to school for the first time. You, you've never done this before. You're going to have many battles, many things you're going to have to do. But be reminded that mama and daddy are back home on the hill praying for you lifting up holy hands to God for you. So as you're struggling, as every new freshman student out of town, just remember you're backed up in the spiritual realm. I said, but don't let us do all the praying. Make sure you do some praying for yourself too. So I don't know, is it, this was Israel's first battle. You may be experiencing a first, something you've never done before, a first marriage, a first business first time going to school, uh, first time going on the mission field, whatever the first may be, just realize you don't have to try to do it by yourself. God has got your back because the God who calls you will also do it. So if you're in the valley, keep fighting. Don't you dare give up. Recognize where your help, your covering, and your strength comes from. But secondly, let's look at Moses. Look at chapter 10, verse B. Excuse me, chapter 17, verse 10, part B. It says, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, verse 11, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Verse 12, but Moses' hands became heavy. 
Now, let's be careful now. For those of us who like formulas and, and, and we want to try to uh, cookie cut a move of God, we want to franchise a move of God, this is the only time we read of this kind of thing happening, okay? So this wasn't a normal occurrence, but there are many principles to gain. So, so Moses goes up to the hill. He holds his hand out. He holds the rod out. And the Bible says, as his hands were lifted, Joshua was winning in the valley. When his hands went down, the enemy started winning in the valley. Now, that can preach itself. Uh-huh. You, you do know that, don't you? Because what it's saying from a principle standpoint, when our hands are lifted to God saying, Lord, I love you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm praying for my loved one. The Bible says we can experience victory. But when our hands are down and we're not praying, when our hands are down and we're not worshiping, when our hands are down and we're not interceding, that means the devil wins. So when you pray, you win. When you don't pray, you lose. So let's take that home with us and let's apply this because Moses' job was to intercede. His job was to stand in the gap to petition heaven so that heaven could bombard earth. A lot of times we don't see God showing up because we're not asking God for help. We're not interceding. And as we see here, as Moses is praying, his arms get tired. Now Moses was in shape, y'all. So much so that when this brother died at the age of 120, he had just climbed a mountain. His strength, his eyesight, everything. God just took him home because it was time. But he didn't go because he was falling apart. So when the brother's arms are getting weary right here, this is not just speaking of physical tiredness. This is speaking of the work of intercessory prayer. Oh, man, if you don't think intercessory prayer is work, that might mean you don't do it. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You may not like me because I said that, but it's true. When we're not interceding, man, oh boy. but when we start praying for other people, that's work. Because the flesh is weak. And the flesh, you got all kind of reasons to stop, to watch TV, to check your phone. You start getting sleepy when you start praying, period, yet alone praying for other people. And Moses said, this is work because it's just not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. I'm trying to keep my hands lifted up to God. Oh, but they're getting tired. Prayer is work. Matter of fact, prayer is not a work of the church. Prayer is the work of the church. Mm -mm. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Not preaching, not singing, but prayer. Prayer is hard. That's why the disciples fell asleep on Jesus. Jesus said, can you just pray with me? I need y'all to intercede for me for just one hour. Them brothers failed the test. Jesus had to wake them up a couple of times. It's hard. But I must tell you, the favorite part of staff meeting on Tuesday is getting the blue cards and praying over the blue cards. Now, it's my favorite part, but sometimes to get to that part, my flesh be like, it's time to pray again. Oh, man. Okay. All right, Lord. Okay. But you, you, you tell your flesh it ain't going to win today. And you start praying for folk the way you want folk to pray for you. Do unto others the way you would want them to do. Pray for others. And, and therefore, so when somebody say, hey, can you pray for me? And you say, yeah, you better make sure you do it. Don't say, yeah, and then don't do it. So, and if that means you got to pray on the spot, pray on the spot. But once I start praying for other people, the spirit kicks in. 
and the intercessory time, we're lifted up to heavenly places. But until we get there, the flesh is fighting that moment. But, man, it's work to intercede for other folk. Now, watch this strong tower. When Jewish people prayed, they would often pray with their hands lifted. In our culture, we pray with our heads down. Both are correct. Your head down is a sign of your humility, uh, recognizing God's holiness. Uh, but there is a time to pray with your head up. Lift up your head, O ye gates. There's a time to pray with your hands lifted. So when the Jews prayed, they would pray with their arms out. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he got on his knees and stretched his hands out to heaven. When Jesus fed the multitudes, the Bible says he took the fish and the loaves in his hands. He blessed them. He looked towards heaven. And the idea is that when Jesus looked towards the heavens, he lifted up the fish and the bread in his hands towards God, saying, God, I need you to do a miracle with these things. It's okay if you lift your bills up to God. It's okay if you lift the names of your children up to God. It's okay if you lift these things up, not only spiritually, but even literally if you have to. If you got to lift your hands, and I know I done lost some of y'all with that, because some of y'all will say, it don't take all of that. I'm going to keep my hand chiseled in my pocket right here doing prayer time, doing praise and worship. I ain't lifting my hands. Well, let me throw some more Bible to you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul said, I want the men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without wrath or disputing. Because something happens when men pray. Something really happens when men lift their hands up. Because what's that saying? A man is saying, I know who the real man is. But some of us are so prideful that, that we don't want to acknowledge any other man, yet alone God, and we're not going to lift our hands because it don't take all of that. Well, well, you just keep on living. Something's going to happen to you that's going to cause you to stretch your hands to heaven. No other help I know. And God is like, why does it always have to come down to that? Lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless me and worship me and intercede to me. Lift your hands, men, because when the men start lifting their hands, the boys who are watching the men will say, I'm going to lift my hands like my daddy lifts my hands. The girls who watch the fathers lift their hands say, I want to marry a man who lifts his hands in the presence of God. There's something powerful when men humble themselves in the presence of God. Mm -mm -mm. So men. Let's step up our intercession. Men, let's be demonstrative in our worship. That doesn't make you quote-unquote charismatic because you raise your hands and you came from a Baptist background. I got news for you. Every Christian is charismatic because the word charismata means to be graced with a gift. So you got a gift from God, you're charismatic. Stop letting labels hinder your worship. Stop letting labels and denominationalism hinder your intercession and your prayer. When the Spirit says, lift your hands, obey the Spirit, and lift your hands. Because it's a sign to God that says, I need you. I need you now. Moses lifted his hands. After all the miracles, he could have said, you know what, I'll lift my hands no more. No, no, because he knew what God could do, he lifted his hands. When my children were little, when they were babies, when they were toddlers, I knew they wanted me because they would lift their hands. I'd walk by them, and they'd lift them hands up. And although they couldn't talk or talk well, the hands were speaking for them. The hands said, help. That, that, that's what them hands said. When I saw them hands, they said, help. Help, daddy. 
I'm wet. Yeah, yeah. And a cruel father would walk by a wet child. Or a lazy father would say, baby, you see that? You got to get that diaper changed. But it's a signal, help me, I'm hungry. Help me, I'm thirsty. Help me, I'm afraid. Somebody just let a doggie out in the house, and the kid sees the dog, ah, daddy, and they're crying out for help. And no wonder the Bible says we've got to become like children to experience the kingdom of God. We got to become childlike where we're willing to say, Dad, I need some help. But some of us adults are too childish to be childlike. Oh, oh man, I'm not going to mess with that too much. Childish people just fight and, and look at themselves and be carnal. But childlike folks will say, God, I need you. And I don't care who's looking at me. They shouldn't be looking at me anyway. Our eyes should be on you. <laughs> But if I need some encouragement, let me look at a man with his hands up. Moses lifted his hands and he said, God, we need you. Whose quality of life is dependent upon your hands being lifted up to God on your behalf? I mean, your life. So you got to have somebody on the mountain for you. Somebody you know that can get through for you when you're fighting in the valley. Who do you have praying for you? Mm -hmm. And let me flip it. Who are you praying for? We all need to pray for each other. Some people say, man, prayer, why, why do we have to pray all the time? Because God wants us dependent on him. And he allows trials and tribulations to come because he knows that we are sheep and we have a tendency to be independent. So there's nothing like a trial to make us dependent on God. And he's using that trial to bring us closer to him. So that we can be more like Christ, we can look to Christ, and we can look for Christ. That's why we can count it all joy when we're going through this mess. I don't like what's going on, but I have joy in what's going to happen from what's going on. It's going to bring me closer to God. It's going to make me look more like Jesus, and it's going to show me Jesus showing up in my life. So I count it all joy. It hurts, but I'm going to keep my hands lifted. Because if the devil can cause me to keep my hands down, that means I ain't praying or praising. He's one. But I'm going to lift them anyhow. I'm going to lift them up. Third and finally, from the perspective of Aaron and her, we got to keep supporting, folks. Look at verse 12, part B. It says, so they took a stone and put it under him. Remember, his arms and hands are getting heavy. And Moses sat on it, and Aaron and her supported his hands. One on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword and passed the crisp parenthetical comment and with intercession. Defeated the enemy with the sword and through intercession. But Moses wouldn't have made it without Aaron and her supporting him it wasn't a one-man show it was a leadership in plurality he got tired as great as he was he got tired and Aaron was there who was Aaron Aaron was Moses's brother he was three years older than him who was her we only read of him a couple of times in scripture but yet they made a whole movie out of this brother uh, her he was according to Josephus the great historian her was married to Miriam 
who was Moses' sister. So this would be Moses' brother-in-law on one side, according to Josephus, and his brother on the other. The leaders of Israel went to the hill to intercede. So Moses, who's the leader of the leaders, he's got the rod of God. He's got his arms up, but his hands get heavy, and he needed a support crew to hold his hands up. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus. I don't care how many books you've written. I don't care how many people you've preached to. I don't care how many souls you've won to the Lord. If you don't have support, you won't make it. <laughs> Watch out for them solo Christians that don't need support from nobody, don't need prayer, don't need people holding them up, uh, uh, not only in accountability but in encouragement. Watch out for them because they won't be standing long. The Bible says take heed. If you think you're standing, take heed if you think you're standing. So watch out. And so the ministry of support is just as necessary as the ministry of leadership. There are leaders who are called to be out front. There are leaders who are called to be in support. When you go home today, if your house is still standing, your house is standing because of things called support beams. Folk can't see the support beams, but if something go wrong in the house, it'll be traced back to the support beams. The support beams are there to hold the house up. And in every ministry, every church, you've got people with support gifts. They may not be out front, but they are behind the scenes holding the structure up. And I pray that God will give us more. And that's why Paul said in Corinthians, the parts of the body you can't see, those are the greater parts of the body. Man, your heart is greater than your lips. Your lungs are greater than your eyes. You can live without an eye, but, man, you can't live without them lungs. So Paul is saying the greatest parts, those are the support parts. Oh, I pray for a revival of support, folks, in this church. Oh, boy, when you come to this church or any church and somebody says, hey, I want to preach, and I don't even know you, or I want to sing a solo, and we don't even know you, oh, you better learn the ministry of support because you ain't preaching or singing around here because we don't know who you are. <laughs> I know I said the truth. Didn't I? You, you know there's some folk. They're running straight to the limelight. No, 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 no. Can you serve? Aaron and her served. They were support folks. My wife is a singer, and I always push my wife, baby, I want to hear you sing. And when the church first started, she had to do a whole lot of worship. And I love my wife's voice, but my wife had to rebuke me a couple of times. She said, Chris, although I can sing out front, my calling and my gifting, my abilities are more for people who are singing harmony and singing in the background. I said, wait a minute, baby, but you sound so good. You look so good. I want you out front. No, pastor, my gifting and my calling is better to be in the support and singing harmony. Let Jewel be out front. You ever seen them singing groups and you can name the lead singer, but you can't name the background singers, you know, but the group wouldn't be a group without the background singers. Some of them dudes never get a solo. They just be back there the whole time. That's all they do, and they sing in that piece. But you let them not show up that night. That group going to struggle. That lead singer going to struggle. And I thank God for the support elders, the men, the women that God has put around me in this church. Because like Moses, I get tired. And I can call any one of them and say, man, I'm hurting. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? And they're not going to look down on me because I need some help. 
Matter of fact, they might admire me saying, man, he needs help. That's a good thing. He's teaching leadership through vulnerability. Moses said, I need some help. I can't do this by myself. And I've got some wonderful brothers here who support me when I get tired because every leader gets tired. And not only that, Moses not only had guys who held his hands, they had ingenuity. They said, we're we going to find a rock for the brother to sit down on, which means they had to tell their leader, go sit down somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you, you need a break. Go sit down somewhere. And I got leaders, Elder Clifton, don't be amen and all loud, who will say, Pastor, go sit down somewhere. <laughs> Take a break, Pastor. You're tired. No, I'm not. I feel good. <gasps> no, sit down, Pastor. And Moses submitted to his men. What if Moses would have said, I don't submit to nobody? Be careful. You, you must submit to, it, it, listen. If you don't want to submit to them, why do you think the people you lead going to want to submit to them? But if you submit to them, that encourages the people to submit to Elder Tyler and Elder Bob. That encourages the people when pastor submits and follows instructions. Because although I'm leading, I still need to be led. Although I'm a shepherd, I'm still a sheep. That was Moses. Oh, man. None of that was in my notes, but I guess the Holy Ghost said, preach it to yourself, brother. <laughs> Who needs your presence? Who needs your support? Because you can support somebody. Stop always looking to be supported, but support others. But yes, as I flip it, you need to be supported too. Who can you count on to hold your hands up when they get tired? Who's in your life that won't ask for permission, but will just step in there and say, girl, let me help you. Brother, let me help you. You look weary. I don't see that smile on your face anymore. I'm coming alongside of you to help you out in this moment. My goodness. Now, we got to keep in mind something about Aaron and her, everybody. Although they were here supporting in this passage, they faked the funk later on in the book of Exodus. So while Moses is up there on the mountain for 40 days, the people grow restless in the valley. Aaron and her say, uh, okay, just give us all your gold and stuff. They throw it into an oven, and they fashion a calf, reminding them of God's small g that they served back in Egypt. And they said to the people, Moses is taking a long time with this invisible God called Yahweh, but Israel, here are your gods. And not only did they worship this God, this golden image, but they prostituted themselves that day, according to Exodus, and they had a big orgy outside. <sighs> What's the lesson? Yes, you need people to support you, but you can't be overly dependent on people because the people who support you today just might hurt you tomorrow. So, yeah, yeah, you need help, but don't put all your trust in man. Trust God because he won't ever leave you. He won't let you down. He won't turn on you. Oh, as I close, I got to finish. I got to read verse 14. This is the conclusion. And then the Lord said to Moses after this victory, he said, man, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Stop and pause. God really did not like the Amalekites. Remember now they, they attacked from behind. They attacked the weak. And, 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 and Saul had a chance to wipe them out. God told him, wipe them out. And Saul did not do that. 
And God was displeased that he did not wipe out the Amalekites. When, when God tells you to do something, you need to do it. He didn't do it. Verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called his name, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The Lord is my banner. This is a name of God, a, a compound name of God. The Lord, Yahweh, or Jehovah, transliterated into the English from the Hebrew. There's no J in the Hebrew, but we transliterate it over into the English language, and we add a J where there should be a Y, Yahweh, Jehovah. Jehovah is my banner, or Jehovah Nisi. That's the word in the Hebrew, Nisi. The Lord who prevails in battle. So Moses built an altar, and he proclaimed, the Lord is my banner. What's all that about? What's a banner? Well, coming out of Egypt and looking at the surrounding nations, their armies would march under banners. And their banners, or these battle flags, would have the names or even an insignia or symbol of the God that they worship. So if they worship the Nile, there may be a picture of a crocodile or something. Or if they worship the sun, there may be a picture of a sun on a flag. And the armies would march under those flags, believing that those gods would bring deliverance for them. But God is saying now through Moses, Moses, I am your banner. You march under me for victory. The victory that you just encountered, I will continue to fight for you as long as you fight with me. I will be your banner. I will be the Lord who prevails in battle. So I know that you're tired. I know that you get weary. But remember who's fighting for you. And guess what? He's never lost a fight. So trust him. He's your banner. So as you lift your hands, your hands are like a banner that say, Jehovah Nisi, he will prevail. As you lift them in, in, in intercession for your friends and your family, God, you will prevail in this situation. You may not do it how I want or when I want, but you're working, and I'm trusting that you're going to work it out for good. My hands are lifted because Hebrews 12, 12 says, lift up those feeble hands that hang weak. When you start getting weak spiritually, your hands go down. You don't want to pray. You don't want to give God glory. But when you don't want to pray, that's the best time to pray. When you don't want to worship, that's the best time to worship. And you tell your hands as you tell your soul, I'm going to bless the Lord and we're going to lift our hands anyhow to the God. Because when somebody scores a touchdown, the ref lifts his hands. Folks on the sideline lifting their hands over a football game. Oh, if God's people would just lift their hands for the God who won the victory. If we would lift our hands to the God who wins the victory. We'll be all right. Sometimes, every now and then, I watch one of them war movies. Or I watch a kung fu movie where a lot of fighting is going on, and the survivors will come out on the battlefield. And they'll see bodies strewn all over the battlefield. Or if you watch an army movie, bodies of the enemy and even of their own people, they're all over the battlefield. Now they begin the process of trying to find survivors. Who is wounded yet alive? Who's dead? So what they do is someone or a group of people will go out and say, if you can hear me, as they speak to the bodies, Raise your hand. If you are still alive, raise your hand. And once that person could muster the strength to raise their hand, those who were looking for them could go and find them, lift them up, and begin to patch them up and take them back home. 
So Strong Tower, I just stopped by today. I, I just need to know, I know some of you are wounded. I know some of you are hurting. But, 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 but if God is working just a little bit anyhow, can, can, can you just lift your hands and say, yeah, yeah. if you're still alive, can, can, can you, I know it's bad, but if you're still alive with the living, there is hope. Lord, I'm going to raise this hand to you, and I need you, Lord, to come on by this way. Don't pass me by. Here I am, Jesus. I need a little bit of help. I'm in a seating for myself. I'm in a seating for my family. Lord, I'm going to lift this hand. They didn't say lift the foot, lift the hand. Oh my. Stand to your feet, church. Stand to your feet, church. As we close, I'm over time, but I'm going to end this. If you need, my worship leader started this off asking, does anyone need to come to the altar? Okay, And as she was singing that song, I said, I'm closing the same way. We ain't playing today. You need intercession. You, I mean, we all need prayer. We all, but I'm saying if you're going through something, I mean, it's unusual. It's hard on you, and you don't know if you're going to make it. I need you to come meet me right here at this altar. Come on, come on, come up here. Don't you leave this house of prayer without praying. You're going through something. It is hard. It is pressing. It is heavy. You've been tempted to quit. You wanted to quit. You don't know how God going to make a way. You need help. I want to pray over you. I want to pray for you. Come on now. Come on now. This is a house of prayer, right? Amen. If you need prayer, you need prayer. Come on. There's something going on. You've been praying. You've been seeking God. It has not moved. You need help. You're going through this valley. It's hard. You've started something for the first time. And you're seeing war coming at you like you've never experienced. You're like, God, I need Now, before I pray, I am going to ask those who've come to do something for me, but they're not going to do it by themselves. As we follow the principles laid out in this passage, those who are saying, God, I need help. I'm going to encourage you when I pray to lift your hands to heaven. But watch this. They're not going to do this by themselves. They need some support. Those with the ministry of intercession and support, I want you to come and lay your hands on the people who are at the altar right now. Come on, those of you who have the, the calling to support. You may even know why the person is up here. Come on, let them know they're not by themselves. We're going to pray. Oh, the devil hates it when we pray. And I want you to be on one side and the other. Don't let nobody go untouched here. Come on, support people. Come on, Strong Tower. This is a family. This ain't a spectator show. This is family. Because it might be you next week that need somebody to hold your hands up. So come on, hold the hands up. Touch them. Let them know they're not by themselves today. As they humble themselves in the sight of God, God says, I'll give you grace. But the proud I know from afar, humble yourselves. With all of God's people praying. With those who have come to the altar with burdens and stress and issues and anxiety and weariness. You lift your hands right now in the presence of God. Lift your hands as a symbol that you need help from dad. This father knows what you have need of before you ask. But he still calls you to lift your hands to him. 
Support friends. Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold them up. Father, God, in the name of Jesus, so glad we got you. Lord, I don't know what people do in this life who don't have help from up high and even help on the inside. And now, Lord, help alongside. Thank you, Lord, that in this house we got help from you. We look to you, Dad. I don't know what these circumstances are, but you do. You are allowing it to create more dependency and more intimacy. You are doing these things so that you can show your power to your people to deliver, to provide, to heal, to set free, to break chains, to conquer the enemy. Lord, whatever they're going through, if it's financial, if it's emotional, if it's familial, if it's spiritual, Lord God, there is nothing that is greater than the name of Jesus Christ. So forgive us, Lord, when we've gone too long trying to fight in our own strength. Forgive us, God, when we just have not looked up to you because some of us have been angry with you because why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? So, Lord, we, we apologize. We're sorry, oh God, for doubting you. We're going to trust you. You're good even when we know times can be bad. But, Lord, would you give each person what they need today? Would you strengthen them today? Would you provide and open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for them that they don't have room enough to receive? Would they get the call back? Would they get the affirmation? Would they get the loan? Would they get the breakthrough? Whatever it is, oh God. I, would they get the car? Would they get the house? Would they get the healing? Would they get the peace of mind that they've been trusting you for? Oh God, I pray that you would visit your people. We're broken. We're needy. We're hurting. We need your help, God. And we position ourselves saying, Lord, have your way. Do what only you can do. We've done our part. We've been fighting in the valley. But, Lord, I thank you for friends supporting us right now, lifting our hands up. Encourage them. Lord, we trust you. Can't wait to see what you're going to do. Lord, we're going to have a praise party then, but we're even going to have one now. We're going to thank you now because we know that you heard us. You hear us because we're your sons and your daughters. Jesus has made a way that we can come into your throne and let you know boldly what's going on in our lives. You heard us today. And Lord, we know that when you hear us according to your will, whatever we're asking according to your will, it will be done. So let us wait on you. So we can see your goodness in the land of the living. That person that's been waiting for years. Give them strength today. New joy today. May the joy of the Lord be their strength today. Do it, God. Help them out, God. For the person that's been waiting for a child. For a person that's been waiting for a husband or a wife. For the person that's been waiting for an adoption to go through. Lord, I pray you give them new joy and peace and strength today. May they not grow weary in well-doing, but in due season they'll reap the harvest if they don't faint. And Lord, if they're tired, we'll hold them up. We'll hold them up. We'll hold them up. They're not going to give up. Oh, God, they're not going to give up. Oh, no, God, we're with them. But most importantly, you're in them. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in them. They are overcomers. They are victorious. They are winners because of Jesus Christ. So we get up from this place different than how we came in. We walk out with our heads up knowing that our God is still on the throne. Knowing that our God is still able. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Thank you Lord that we could pray to you. That we could talk to you. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Bless your people now. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. If you believe God heard this time, give him glory. Oh, he heard you. Oh. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
It's good for your children to see this. It's good for your children to be here. They're going to learn how to pray being in the house of prayer. They can't always go to the back. Going to the back is great. They got to be in here sometime. And I want to give all of our children a round of applause for being so good today. You did great, children. Amen. If there's someone here today, you don't have a church home and you're a believer, I'll be standing right here at the end of service. Come take one of these green cards from me, fill it out, and we can begin the membership process where you can test the spirits and see if this is the place for you. We'll get in touch with you. But above all, as Pastor Jerry said earlier, if you pray to accept Jesus during communion today, if you open up your heart, man, come tell me about it. Come tell me. And then we're going to fill this out, and we're going to rejoice with the angels in heaven. If you don't know Jesus, but you want me to pray with you or one of the leaders, come on, let this be the day of salvation. Don't you leave this place lost. He loves you too much. Come on now. All right, grab hands with somebody next to you. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Ah. <laughs> Lord, you're the pain taker. You're the chain breaker. You're holy, you're good, you're awesome. Thank you for loving your creation. Thank you for not only creating us in your image, but sending your son to save us from our sin. Lord, we're so loved by you. We're so valued by you. And I pray that your perfect love would cast out the fear that we deal with every day. When we start feeling afraid, may we think about your love for us. Thank you for communion, that we could remember what you did for us today, Jesus. Real body, real blood. You came into this earth for real to save us. Thank you, Lord. And we look for you to come back. Come on back, Jesus. Every eye is going to see you. But until that time, may we be the church. Thank you, Lord, that you've filled us and you've equipped us. You've given us everything we need to be salt and light. May we not be discouraged over the trials that visit us individually and even corporately. Help us to keep our eyes on you. The God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that is at work within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power. Both now and forevermore with hands lifted to heaven. Amen. You got to hug somebody. You got to hug somebody.